Hey, what's going on, y'all? Here's another week of Inside the Room, myself, State Representative Brandon McGee, where we discuss politics, leadership, and culture. And, you know, I always say a little gossip every now and again. Uh, but during today's episode, uh, I really like to have a very serious conversation on what we've been seeing for quite some time uh, with respect to white fragility uh, and how white fragility continues to uh, perpetuate racism and fuel the fear of critical race theory uh, being taught within many of our school systems. Um, for those unfamiliar with this particular subject, uh, critical race theory refers to the broad social scientific approach to the study of race, racism, and society. Um, I don't know if you heard of her, but there was an attorney uh, by the name, or attorneys, I should say, by the name of Kimberly Crenshaw uh, and Derek Bell uh, in the early 1980s that came up with this idea of the critical race theory and the theoretical framework around it. Uh, and I, I really want to unpack all of this. I want to talk about current sort of uh, trends that we've been seeing. Um, I don't know if my guest can unpack it, which I think he can, talk about uh, this recent Karen that we, we know of. And, and, and yeah, I'm going to leave that there. Um, she's known as the Victoria Secret Karen, uh, the get her away from me Karen. Uh, but we'll talk a little bit about her. Uh, but many, many legislators, even my colleagues, some of my colleagues, uh, continue to ignore the historical truths under the notion that teaching history of current events uh, accurately would upset students, white students, uh, and assault the um, essentially the sensibilities of, of white students or Caucasian students. Um, and I mean, I can talk more and more about this, but we have um, a young fella who I have recently uh, just really fallen uh, into great appreciation of the work and the content that he pushes out. Um, he is a political analyst. Um, he is a political blogger. Uh, they call him uh, the Q with Q. Uh, Quentin R. Giles, uh, and he's here on Inside the Room today uh, to uplift uh, and to educate all of our communities out uh, here on FUBU Nation. Um, so before we jump in, y'all know how I do. I always seek uh, to, uh, to really preface our conversation with a quote. Uh, and I have a quote by Robin D'Angelo. Uh, and as she emphasizes the, the role of white fragility as it relates to um, critical race theory. And I quote, to continue reproducing um, racial inequality, the system only needs for white people to be really nice and carry on, to smile at people of color, to go to lunch with them on occasion. To be clear, being nice is generally a better policy than being mean. But niceness does not bring racism to the table and will not keep it on the table when so many of us are white. Want it off, she says. Niceness does not break with white solidarity and white silence. In fact, naming racism is often seen as not nice, triggering white fragility. At this time, 
you know, I really, I, I enjoy bios, but I really don't. Uh, but I want Q to really just tell us who he is, the work that he's doing as a political commentator, um, all of the work that he continues to do. But I do want to read off, and I think it's important that we give honor to, to, to whom honor is due. Um, we appreciate you, brother. I mean, you've been featured on NBC LX, TV One's Sister Circle Live, and CBS affiliate WUSA 9's Great Day Washington, just yeah. to name a few. And your mantra, your mission is to engage Gen Z, I, all these different names, you got to explain to me, and millennials in the American political process by disseminating, excuse me, information in a fun, entertaining, and relatable way. Yeah. Y'all, let's welcome Q to Inside the Room. Q, what's going on, man? Nothing much. Thank you so much for uh, having me. And thank you for, you know, reading a little bit of the bio, even though we don't we don't like that. I appreciate <laughs> that. I appreciate that. Tell us a little bit about you, though. Talk yeah, so I mean, my name is uh, Quentin R. Giles, or Q. It's, it's shorter. It's simple. It's fun, right? Um, I guess I, I should start by trade. You know, people want to know where your education at. Why, why are you even talking to us? So by yeah, trade, are educated or not? Yeah, are you educated or not, or are you just out here just talking? Uh, so by trade, I am uh, I have an undergrad and a master's degree in social work, and I am licensed at the master's level. Um, I, that was my first career. I used to be a travel social worker, so I literally bounced around the country three to six months at a time, uh, uh, starting uh, pilot programs or filling employment gaps uh, for hospitals, clinics, things of that nature. And so I've lived in Atlanta doing social work. I've lived in the Bay Area, LA, Texas, Vegas, all over the place. And so I really got a, a great sense of various populations around the country. Um, and one of the reasons I chose social work as an original profession was because I always wanted to help people. In the field of social work, we really take people where they are. And I like that uh, because everybody is different. Everybody is unique. Everybody comes with their own circumstances and their own ideas. And so that training kind of helped me just see the value in people at a baseline level uh, from an educational standpoint. Uh, from a, I was gonna say from a biblical standpoint, another part of me, or from a faith standpoint, uh, uh, I am a follower of Christ. I don't, uh, I like to use the term follower as opposed to just being a Christian, because for me, mm. it's a, it's a daily submission. It's a daily death that I, that I have to choose to follow him and the things that he said. And so for, on um, from that aspect, everybody gets a basic level of human decency and respect and value in their humanity from me, because I believe, whether you believe it or not, but I believe that everyone is an image bearer of God. And so it is upon me to give you just that off rip. Uh, so that's that. Um, now, as far as politics uh, goes, I've always had a love and a passion well, for well, politics. Be, be, before oh. you jump in, no, it's okay. Before you jump yeah. into politics, I, I really want to stay there around the license um, uh, social worker okay. field and, yeah, and the work yeah, yeah. that you were doing there. I want to know a little bit more, uh, you know, how does having your um, LSW, LMSW, LMSW. Excuse me, yeah. um, impact your ability to influence a lot of what you do, like you're in mass media and you speak on issues yeah. that are pertinent uh, to marginalized populations, black and brown folks, indigenous people. And as as they intervene within the political arena. So like how, how, how does knowing how to work alongside people and understanding people uh, really influence the work you do? Yeah, no, it's, it, it's, 
it's almost everything, right? Because to be able to, and I, I don't want to use the word influence, right? Because I feel like that, I, I know why we use it and there's validity in that word, but I feel like that takes away from the other person's uh, ability to make their own decision, right? That's right. Uh, that's but right. I think from that, that social work perspective, it is everything because what people want is basic human dignity and respect, right? That's people it. want to feel heard. Now, some people want to just be right, but I think the majority of us want to feel at least heard, right? If I feel as though you heard me, but yet you disagree, there's still a pathway forward. And mm. so for me, that social work training of just being able to learn how to listen, not listen to respond, but being, but learning how to listen, learning how to read body language, learning how to seeing the things that people want, even when they don't see it or don't have the language for it, mm. is everything because now I'm able to communicate in a way to where you can hear me. If I know, like, if I know that I know that I know what you just said was wrong. Come on, preacher. Or <laughs> if I know that what you just said was wrong, instead of me bashing you over the head, I can, I can allow space for you to express and communicate and then I can represent what you said show you the flaw in the thinking, present a better way, and nine times out of 10, you'll walk away at least either seeing it the way that mm. I presented it to you, or at least seriously considering what I've told you. So mm. it's everything. That's dope, that's dope. Yeah. Like, I wanna stay there. So I, cu I cut you off and you were yeah. getting ready to segue into sort of the political um, facet of your life. And yeah. many people, I think, who stumble across your page or intentionally go to your Instagram or your social media platforms, they tend to engage around your political perspective um, on issues and, and uh, not limited to, but talk yeah. to us a little bit about that and how you sort of segue out of being this licensed, mastered clinical social worker. Yeah. Like, and now this commentary, this person that people they seek after to hear your perspective on, yeah. on, on certain issues. Yeah, I will say one thing I don't want to misrepresent. So not clinical, because that's a different, that it's the same profession, but it's oh. a, it's a different uh, uh, licensure, if you will. So listen, you better, it's your, it's your name on it. So you yeah, yeah, yeah. So shout out to all the clinical social workers, the licensed clinical ones. I'm not there, I'm the licensed master. the uh, LMSW. LMSW, not LC, not LC. But um, how did I segue into that? Well, I've honestly, I got activated. Uh, <laughs> I'll use that word. I got activated during Barack Obama's tenure as president. Uh, when Barack Obama ran the first time, that happened to the, that election year was my 18th birthday, so I was eligible to vote. And I'm not ashamed to say that yes, I voted for the black man because he was black. I was 18. <laughs> yes. Wait, 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 Paul. So, 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 do you believe this is so random and, and yeah. not a, not along of any lines of this interview, but do you believe many people voted for Barack because of the color of the skin? Absolutely. Hey, Absolutely. I'm with it. I'm and here that for doesn't it. Take, that takes none of his intelligence away. Yep. Like That doesn't take any of his accolades away. That doesn't take the good nor the bad that he did as president because there was both. That doesn't mm -hmm. take any of that away. But for me being a black boy growing up 18 years, I've only saw white male presidents. You know what I'm saying? At that yeah. time as well, we weren't quote unquote protecting black women at that time. We weren't mm. embracing our natural hair. Like I see you have, like I have, like my guy in this photo has. Yeah. Like, so 
to see a black man with his cocoa butter brown wife and children, absolutely I voted for them. <laughs> you are correct. Yes, I did. And I'm not ashamed about it. That's now, what's up. That's what got me in the door of politics, though. You know, mm. that's what kind of made me start paying attention uh, when we had when we started having government shutdowns at that time. So we're, we're so let me push forward. So Barack Obama gets elected. I voted for him. You know, I'm, I'm in college at the time. I'm kind of engaged, but not really. It kind of sparked an interest in student government as well. And that yeah. and I ended up being our student government president my senior year of college. So all of these things kind of intertwined. Where, where did you attend school? I went to Lamar University in Beaumont, Texas. OK, is that Beaumont an HBCU? Brand. It, uh, on campus it was, uh, on the dorms it was. Uh, <laughs> the dorms were definitely an HBCU, but no, no, not the school, not the school, but the dorms, absolutely lit. Uh, no, I, I am dying laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. I knew it wasn't, but I just wanted to see what that punchline would be. So oh yes, oh yeah, the, okay. the dorms right. was definitely given HBCU, all the things, okay. all the things. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I find myself, you know, interested based on that. I'm taking these social work classes because this is a part of it as well, right? And right. learning, uh, especially taking like policy courses, um, learning how these things or these systems, these laws impact our everyday life, right? Because I'm learning how to advocate for my client. Then I'm learning barriers, learning why there are barriers, what, where's the red tape coming from? So all these things are building out what you see today, right? And so I decided when I was in grad school, I thought I was gonna go to the Air Force to get the clinical licensure, right? Mm -hmm. I was gonna go to the Air Force, all the things. I went to the, the basic MEPS, do the drug tests, turn over cough, all of that stuff, right? And the government shut down. Mm. And so my process stopped. And I remember being in grad school, I was like, how does the government shut down? Like, did y'all go home? Is, are things not functioning? Like, what? then what do we do? And mm. what I learned based upon my research is it's it's called a shutdown, but what we're talking about is funding. There's no there's no budget, no money being allocated to certain programs. That's right. But, that, but how my process, because I was in the middle of almost going into the military, thank God that it, you know, it did shut down because I, I ended up not doing it. Shout out to the people in the military, but I don't, I think hindsight, that wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. So seeing as how everything shut down and then when everything opened back up, I no longer had the, the people I was talking to originally, all of that shifted. Those people were no longer there. I had an entirely new uh, commander I was speaking to to try to get in. That person didn't know much about the program I wanted to do, so I kind of pushed away from it. But that shutdown made me go, oh, y'all can just choose not to do work? <laughs> hold on, hold on. Now, wait. now I might be in the wrong profession. <laughs> so that's that's where I got it from. And so as I'm talking to like grad school colleagues, nobody's interested, nobody's you know really paying attention. I'm talking to friends, nobody. And I'm like, you all have to know about this stuff. So the mm -hmm. only other person that was actually interested was my mom. And I would say politics strengthened my mom and I's relationship because we, we found a new bond. We were already good. But it was like, yeah. we, like, that's where we- Because lived. it was almost like, that's all we had in our face. It was a constant, very consistent, yeah. you know, here's what's going on. Here, if it was nothing else, it was yeah. COVID and its relation to funding, who's yeah. not getting, you know, tested, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so that's, that's dope. So, so basically you, you were forced into 
being this political commentator and really re repurposing your political or your platform, your social media platform yeah. to now speak to those issues. How, yeah. how have you been engaging this Gen Z and millennials around what you do? And then we're going to take a quick break, but tell us really quickly. Yeah, really using socials. Like I go where they are on TikTok. <laughs> like I go there. People I don't want to go there, but I, I go need there. training. I need training on TikTok. Yeah. If you were to go to my TikTok right now, I literally, I think I posted maybe a month ago, mm -hmm. which is bad. I no, know. No, no, no. You got to get in there. You got to get in there. Yeah. You got to get in there. And just talking, honestly, just being me and just communicating the information, breaking it down and going where they are. That's mm. how I engage. You go go to them. Like if we want to get them engaged, go to them. We can't keep doing the same old thing thinking they're going to come to us. It's not gonna work but, that way. But I'm reminded though, and, and I sort of I I want to align my my thoughts with President Barack Obama when he said, and I don't know if it was a tweet or he was like on the stage and he talked about it, but he it was along the lines of social activism and yeah. that we need to really go door to door and we need to go back to the streets. Yeah. And his concern was many of our colleagues, we're doing our damn thing on Twitter, mm. right? Black Twitter be on fleet. Oh, Shout fine. out to Black, what? Yeah. Shout out to Black Twitter. Like, I yeah. love them, you know? But on the same token, is that where it stops, right? Mm. And so, or is it both and? We should be on the street? And okay. we should also be a part of the digital sort of movement yeah. um, that we, we all take part in. And I struggle with the digital side because I am, I went to school, Alabama State University, Montgomery, Alabama, historically yeah. black college university. I was a president of the state youth and college division, pledged alpha. I did everything that you- All the things. You know, yeah. all the things, right? Yeah. And we were taught very traditionally, like in order to get people out, you've got to meet them where they are. And mm -hmm. so, I, I appreciate you saying that and actually doing it, right? Yeah. Um, and understanding the importance of it. But you know what? I really want to. Um, I want to keep going, but we got to pay a few bills. Amen. But I want to. I want to take a quick turn and I want to talk a little bit about um, what we've been talking about all of 2020 uh, is white fragility, right? And and why is it so hard for white folk to talk about racism? Um, and I think Robin D'Angelo, she actually said it best. Um, and I really want to hear your thoughts and perspective, and I'll share a little bit of mine, but you know, there's so much to unpack in that. Yeah. Uh, and so if you're just tuning in to FUBU Radio, y'all, you are in for a treat. We are here with Q or Quentin R. Giles. You got to say the whole name. You can't just say Q. Um, Quentin R. Giles, he is a political analyst, a political blotter, blogger, excuse me, uh, and he is just all things on fleek. And my nephew told me to stop using that word because it's dated, but I don't care. Uh, so I'm just really glad that he's on, he said just a little bit. Uh, I'm also I'm also a little older. Um, <laughs> so he's but on- You know what, so you don't look it, the black don't oh. I appreciate that. So y'all keep it locked. Don't go nowhere. Uh, we're going to come back and we're going to continue our conversation. We're going to talk a little bit about these Karens out there. So keep it locked. Don't go nowhere.
Hey, what's going on, y'all? If you're just tuning in, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Every Monday at 4 p.m., we're here inside the room with yours truly, State Representative Brandon McGee. Um, and, you know, we discuss a little bit of everything, but specifically politics, leadership, and culture. Uh, and every now and again with my co-host, Shane McRae, we'll give you a little gossip. But today, uh, we are inside the room um, with Quentin R. Giles, um, Hells from Texas, uh, and he is doing some phenomenal work there and throughout this country, um, educating our Gen Z uh, and also our millennial folks on the importance of being a part of the process and not just talking about it. But um, we, we, we talked a little bit about his work and how he got involved in the political uh, fight uh, for justice. Uh, but before we went on, on break, um, I shared with you all uh, how I wanted to really unpack this, this, this phrase, this term, white fragility. Uh, and just to put some color to this, um, I don't know if you all have been following any social media as of late, uh, but there's a new Karen. There's a new Karen out there. Her name is Abigail um, Elplick, Elplick, I think it is, BKA, uh, Victoria's Secret Karen, claim she had a mental breakdown. Now, while all that might be true, I don't want to negate anybody's health status. Um, that's that's that. We'll leave that there. Uh, but oftentimes, folks of her hue uh, tend to use mental health breakdowns as an excuse when it is a, an attack, direct uh, attack on Black folk. Uh, and so I'm not going to unpack that entire story, but just know that she... <laughs> basically fell to the ground, started screaming uh, because she was next to a black woman. I guess they were giving out free pantyhose at Victoria's Secret and the black lady may have grabbed the last pair and she just freaked, she just freaked out. She's attacking me, she's attacking me. And all that to say, the police officers come in, they say nothing to Karen or Abigail they asked the black woman to leave the mall. Mm. And I mean, we're so used to it, it's sad, um, but it's also an issue when we bring it up to our white counterparts, the defense mechanism comes up and hence white fragility. But you know, Q, talk to us a little bit about your perspective um, on white fragility. Why is it so hard for white people to talk about racism? Yeah. Um, and how individualism and uh, uh, racism, morality, white solidarity, solidarity and silence and all of this stuff, it, it's all sort of, it's not the same, number one, but it's, it, get, it becomes convoluted when you don't break it down. Yeah. Uh, and so help us understand it a little bit more um, on, yeah. on this whole topic of white fragility. Yeah, I'll try. Uh, I'm not white, so I'm not in their shoes. But, uh, <laughs> you know, what I think, uh, maybe I think one of the- We can talk about our experience. I, oh, I'm going to talk about my experience now. Yeah, I got that one. Uh, but and that's I what think, I want to hear, because I, yeah. I have some too. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's difficult, you know, for white folks to really grasp, or not all, but, you know, yeah, a I get good what amount to grasp the concept of racism or the the true meaning of that because then that means they have to acknowledge 
that although they may not have built a system that we operate in, they benefit from it, right? So, oh, I didn't enslave anyone. I didn't segregate anyone. I didn't put the laws on the books, yet you benefit from all of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think, this is my social work hat on, I think when a person is not ready to accept the reality on the ground or to accept any part of the responsibility, then you automatically are defensive. When mm. what we're saying is, is it's not that you did it, but you benefit from it and you continue to benefit from it at my disadvantage, right? Mm. And so until those particular white folks are ready to have that conversation, I think you're gonna continue to see white fragility because you constantly see pushback of it's, I didn't do it, it's not my fault, I'm not the problem. Well, no one is saying that you're the problem. We're just saying that you benefit from the problem. Mm, mm. Yeah, you know, for me, I, I tend to um, go to the individualism and objectivity, which is basically the notions of um, individualism and one who is object objective both allow white people to uh, in most instances maintain this idea of self images that are not rationalized yeah. um and you know i think it was d'angelo i read a lot of her work but it was both of these beliefs um for the most part are often held by majority white folks mm -hmm. as a result of their lack of of uh racialized self-image and mm. and and at some point one could argue that the opposite is true all people are uh socialized in a culture of white supremacy and right. relentlessly uh exposed to um stereotypes racial stereotypes mm -hmm. um but i struggle with this notion when you begin talking about racism and morality this idea where folks talk about there is good, bad, mm -hmm. there, there is this idea um, that not all white people um, are racist, which is true, I get it. Um, but there's this false uh, dichotomy of good, not racist versus bad racist. And right. I, I struggle with that because oftentimes I have a hard time breaking it down. And what I've concluded with is that notion, it ignores the realities of socialization and unconscious bias mm -hmm. that one that one white folks have. Yeah. Uh, and in doing so, it is for me the most <laughs> egregious, I think, act when we begin talking about education the, the the critical race theory in our school and all of this stuff yeah. it, it just it's such an easy excuse for white folks to hang their hats on and say you know what like you said earlier i really don't want to be a part of the conversation because i didn't make the rules yeah. it's unfair that you would even talk about this with my children you yeah. know i'm not racist i'm a good person yeah ma'am sir yeah <laughs> don't yeah. be so discomforted and talking about the realities that we're facing yeah, I think I think white people should probably, and maybe all people, but white people, since this is what we're talking about, should yep. read the book, How to Be Anti-Racist. Mm, like, I read it, it's a great book. It's a yeah, great book. because the book talks about being anti-racist is a day-to-day, minute-to-minute decision in the choices mm. that we make. 
Mm. So one claiming to be not racist and a good person, but still expressing racist ideologies or turning a blind eye to blatant racism mm. suggest that you are because you're not doing anything to prevent it. So that thing that you're seeing doesn't rise to a level of enough, doesn't rise to a level of care enough for you to intervene. Mm. If you saw a dog specifically, and, and this may be a stereotype, so I don't know how I wanna how deep I wanna get into it, but if you saw a dog <laughs> being beaten on the street, there would be outrage from a lot of people, but a particular set of people, right? There would be mm -hmm. massive outrage if somebody mm -hmm. saw a skinny cats on the street. Mm -hmm. But you can watch a black man be killed. Now, I'm not talking about George Floyd because I think we've all, for the most part, yeah. agreed that that was atrocious, right? Uh, and that that was wrong. It's it's sad that it it took that type of video, somebody to be suffocated on tape to say, oh no, that was wrong. Even when you still have other people trying to pull up his past record and all the other stuff. But you can see black people get disenfranchised. You can see black people getting murdered in the street. You can see black people in Victoria's Secret being asked to leave for participating in a sale because the new Karen on the block had a temper tantrum and yet and still you say nothing, you do nothing, you choose not to even in, in the most basic sense engage in a conversation. I'm not even asking you to march. I'm not even asking you to lobby uh, Congress. You won't even engage in the simple conversation. It suggests that even if you're not racist, you agree with racist ideology. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I have so much to say. I have so <laughs> much, and we have such little time because I mean, if 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 you're human and you care any about the culture, um, about social justice, yeah. 2020 challenged all of us, yeah, uh, and in in various ways. Um, but for me, it as a legislator, as a sitting yeah. elected state official, yeah, um, it. For me, it colored all of the the inequities that that we we knew and we know of, and and it just it it it, it shined this this very bright light on. So what are you going to do now, mm. white folks that are in control? Yeah, you know, and and it allowed us though to bring these types of conversations to the forefront and hold many of the folks who, again, manage the system, yeah. um, bring them to task, you yeah. know? And and I don't think this, this conversation on, you know, white fragility, white solidarity and silence and white discomfort and all of these terms mm -hmm. uh, that, that we have, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. So from, from your perspective, from your work, your view, you know, what, what should we be doing? What message should we be sending to our millennials, those, our constituencies uh, that right. listen to you, that follow you on TikTok and all of these social media platforms? What What are some of the things that we can be doing? Yeah, I engage, I mean, engage, I encourage all my young people that I talk to, to run for office. Mm. And I really do, um, I, you know, we were talking offline. I had a session at uh, San Francisco, uh, agency booked me to go out there to talk to some kids. They're in foster care and or or, or about to age out, right? Um, and I really encouraged them to run for office. We were talking about police brutality and accountability. Um, and really the whole goal of that was to make sure that those kids ended up alive on the other side of their police accountability. So we mm -hmm. even talked about hard conversations like compliance, right? Which is not a yep. great 
term. And especially if you're talking to black folks and black men, black boys, it's like comply. Yeah. But in that moment, that cop has all the power, right? So we walked through those dynamics. But at the end of that, what I was telling them was, you can change it by lobbying, but you can also change it by running. Gotcha. And the questions I started to receive, like, well, don't I need this? Don't I need that? Don't, no, you don't need any of those things. You don't need, you know, I mean, there are certain requirements, right? Depending on what you want to run for, age, uh, uh, making sure you're a US citizen. There are certain basic requirements, but this idea that you had to be, quote unquote, somebody already to run. Mm. Like we <laughs> broke a lot of that stuff down. It was like, no, you don't. You just yeah. need to care enough and you just need to garner enough support to get your name out there. That's mm -hmm. all you need. And so like seeing some of those kids light up like, oh, I could. I could. I didn't know wow. that. You yeah. should become, or, hey, you like, you want to go in this criminal justice system. Have you thought about being a judge? Like, I think wow. that as the older generation need to start implanting these things in our kids and telling them, instead of just saying you should be this, give them the steps. Mm -hmm. Because they was like, well, how do I become a judge? Oh, well, there are many different ways. What type of judge do you want to be? Maybe you need to be a lawyer. Some instances, if you want to be a county judge, depending on where you go, you don't have to be You don't have things. to. That's right. <laughs> you don't have to be any of those things. You, you know can what just I run. You know what I tell young people that I encounter and, and, and even not so young folk, um, you don't necessarily have to run either. Like yeah. the people who are making a lot of decisions and have great influence over the process, lobbyists. Uh, oh, you yeah. could be an attorney. You you could work in the General Assembly or your state houses um, and not actually be the elected official. But right. by all means, like, yo, you can actually run and yeah. do it. And, and I liking it to their student government, you know what I mean? And helping them to understand the ingredients. Yeah. They're still the same. They're still yeah. the same, but you have to be passionate about something. About it, um, right. Yeah. You gotta care yeah. about your constituents. That's the thing I put, you have to care. I don't want you yeah. just running just because you want the spotlight. Like we need, we'll give <laughs> we you have the spotlight. Enough, we have enough of those. We have enough of that. We have enough of that. <laughs> we need you to care. We need you to do the work once you get there. But um, yeah, I think we, we have to, we have to start giving our kids the blueprint of what does it look like? What are the steps? I know for me, when I was a kid, there were a lot of things that I wanted to do, but I never knew how to get there. Social mm. work, if I would have known when I was younger, social work might not have been the career field of choice. Yeah. Because I didn't know as a kid mm. how to be a judge. I used judge because Quentin wanted to be a judge. Really? I didn't know what that, yeah, when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna be a judge. I didn't know what it looked like. I just knew I wanted to be a judge. Thurgood Marshall was my inspiration. I dressed up as him for black history and I fell in love after that. Uh, wow. But I never did as a kid as well, particular circumstance, growing up black kid, single mom, certain things going on. I never had the encouragement to continue to do the research. That's not a slight towards my mom, but there was never a push there and there was no self push as well. So mm -hmm. what would it have looked like if me in older capacity talked to younger Quentin or a younger guy to say, hey, this is how you be a judge. What kind of judge do you wanna be? Let's look that up. Let's find the requirements. Oh, this is what you need to do to get there, right? Mm -hmm. I could be a sitting judge right now. I might've even been a Supreme Court judge. Next, uh, you never know. But yeah, I think that we just have to do the work. If you're asking me what we need to do to get our kids engaged, we have to do the work to let them know what it is and not just expect them to know or just expect them to show up because democracy is on the ballot or because of all these things. We got to get them to buy in. So explain it to them. Yeah. I mean, and you, you said this early on, um, you can't continue to expect young yeah. people or just people in general to just want to be a part of this. You have to go right. where they are. Go where they and, are. you know, oftentimes I, I, I believe um, that many of our young people, they struggle with 
engaging with the political sector because they believe it's it's so cookie cutter and yeah. you have to do it a certain way. Yes. Um, and I'm I'm just again I'm glad that you're out there, um, you know, dispelling some of those myths about yeah. engaging. And we're seeing more and more of our our um, hip hop artists and folks mm -hmm. engaging in the political process. Yeah. I just I need them to hire more folks like you and I to help them with their messaging so that, that they can understand it. <laughs> um, that part. And so, and again, we're on FUBU Radio, so I have colleagues out there, y'all listening. Uh, yes. Thank you. Uh, but Q, tell us how folks can can access you, your social media yeah, yeah, handle, yeah. all that good stuff. Uh, and then I want to talk a little bit about a situation that happened in Texas around voting, and then we can talk about the filibuster and all of that. Yeah, good deal. So yeah, uh, I think the easiest way to just re uh, to access the uh, the, the social media is to go there. Uh, Quentin R. Giles on uh, Instagram. Quentin Giles on TikTok. I left out the R uh, on TikTok. Uh, the YouTube, you can go to the Q with Q, just explain it. It's kind of like things pop up in the political Q and then Q explains it to you. Uh, and then I'm going to throw this out there, shameless plug for anybody that would like to book me. You can email me, you know, because since since, you know, vaccinations are going around and masks are coming out and the world is opening up, I'm, I'm ready to go back on the stage. Uh, so you can book me at booking or booking at Quentin R. Giles. That's Q-U-E-N-T-I-N-R-J-I-L-E-S.com. And as you all can see, he is full of life and energy, <laughs> um, but with purpose. And, yeah, and yeah. I could see why or how, you know, so many young people are engaged when you speak. Um, yeah. So again, y'all, y'all link up with him. Yeah. Um, we're going to take another break. And we're going to come back and talk a little bit about a black man who was arrested in Texas for voting. I think voting while on parole. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about that uh, and, and how that has influenced a lot of folks to actually say, you know what, I'm going to register to vote because I don't like what they're doing. So y'all keep it locked. Don't go nowhere. Stay right here on FUBUradio.com. What's up? What's up? If you're just tuning back in, uh, we're here with Quentin R. Giles, uh, and we've been talking about uh, quite a few things uh, from white fragility uh, to Quentin's career um, as a social worker. I guess once a social social worker, always a social worker. Um, but he's moved into this space, this political space of educating our people. Uh, and it's just been a really live conversation. Uh, and I am just excited. Uh, to have had this opportunity to engage with him. Uh, but I, I want to I jump back in and I want to talk a little bit about what's been happening across the country, specifically uh, in Texas, when we begin talking about this idea of this long history of voter suppression or voting suppression. Um, simply put, you know, discouraging people from voting, going to the polls. And we know in 2020, there were all types of efforts and laws passed to encourage more people to be a part of uh, that process of voting. Um, recently, there was a Texas man arrested on charges that he voted in the 2020 Demo Democratic primary while on parole. Mm -hmm. um, he could face up to 20, uh, as much as 20 years in prison. Uh, under Texas law, it is um, illegal for a felon to knowingly Mm -hmm. uh, vote while still serving a sentence, including parole. Um, and I believe 
the provisions made in Senate Bill 7 blocks many black and latino voting methods which may uh with which many would call jim crow in a tuxedo that's a new term um what so so for me um well i'll hold my thought and be yeah. a gentleman and give it to you uh yeah. talk to talk a little bit about this situation down there in texas and, and what the hell are y'all doing yeah yeah so let's let's start with this right uh <laughs> law is law Right, but mm -hmm. we do have unjust laws, so there's that. Uh, but law is law. Um, our guy got caught up, if you will. Yeah, he, he was about three months away from the end of his parole. Per the rules, let's just go per the rules. That's against the rules. There's that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Now, should he get? He's been charged with two crimes, so it's twenty. It's up to twenty years per crime, so he could do forty. Yep. Should the man go to jail, to prison for 40 years, potentially for, he said he didn't know, you know, unknowingly voting while he was still on parole? No, that's that's what I think with that. No, he should not. Hopefully his judge, mm -hmm. whoever it is, has some type of compassion. You know, there are there is judges discretion uh, <clears throat> to see like this was probably an honest mistake, although he should have known the terms of what his parole was. That is yeah. a personal responsibility. It's a tough, this, yeah, personal yeah. responsibility. And that there's a personal responsibility with it. That's just what it is, right? Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that the law is unjust. Right. Right? Just because the law is on the books doesn't mean it's unjust and we can't advocate for those types of laws to no longer be on the books. That's something I don't understand, honestly, and don't agree with why. Well, I do, I do understand it. Let me take that back. I understand it. I don't agree. Mm -hmm. But why, just because someone commits a crime, they then no longer have access to voice their opinion on how democracy should be ran. Because mm. essentially, they're still a citizen. That's right. They're, they're still a citizen. At the end of the day, they're still going to pay taxes. Whether you agree, I think a lot of times we look at criminals and just decide that, we're, that they need to go away, they need to go to jail, we shouldn't be here. And some people do need to be down at the prison, period. However... <laughs> When they get out, they still pay taxes. If they can get a job, you're still collecting their tax income. Like you, de you denied them the right to exercise their vote or exercise their voice, but you're still gonna take their money, whatever money that they can make legally, right? So mm. I'm not a person that actually agrees with it. I'm hopeful that there is a judge that has compassion on this man, uh, but I still do stand that it's the law on the books right now. So we do have to operate inside of the law. Yeah, no, I, I, I can definitely appreciate that and having, um, wrapped up our legislative session just recently, um, there were several bills that focused around um, expunging or sealing of criminal records, um, essentially letting uh, those who are on parole, chopping up their time, depending on whatever the offense uh, or offenses may have been. Um, and I am of the mindset, if these folks have served their time, yeah. which per law, he was constitutionally still a part of the, the state because he was on parole. Uh, so I agree with you 1000% that that was a personal responsibility, a personal choice that he made. Um, but the implications of it though right. are severe, right? right. And, and that there are so many, there are thousands of individuals in Texas, but I can talk about Connecticut mm -hmm. who have had some sort of a brush with the criminal justice system. They've served their time. They're working. 
They're paying taxes. Yeah. Yet they cannot vote. Yeah. And they didn't they didn't they didn't violate any voting law whatsoever. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's bigger than than the situation with this young man or whoever this man is in Texas. Um, but it further discourages so many folk who really want to be a part of the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it plays right into this voting suppression uh, that's been happening across this country. We've heard President Biden, Vice President Harris talk about it. Um, they even launched a campaign, Fix Our Senate, uh, which is a coalition of maybe about 70 organizations uh, that are working to educate people on the importance of voting. Uh, yeah. But I just think, like you said, and I'll keep using it, it's a personal responsibility. And if you need reminders for you that are listening and you struggle with voting um, uh, because you're saying it doesn't do anything, I've heard that before. I don't know about UQ, but I've heard yeah. people say, I voted, but I don't see no change. Yeah, I, we'll, we'll worry about them later. But right now, y'all need to vote. Yeah. <laughs> y'all need to vote. Um, what, what, what message do you want to send to many of, of our millennials and our folks who are out there doing their thing, making their money, yeah. um, but they're just far, far away from, from the political process? Um, what, what would you tell them? It, the ones that's making their money, you should get involved because you may be able to make more money. Oh. That's that, right? Because if you get involved and you start uh, uh, lobbying for certain laws, it may be more advantageous for you getting your money. That's, speaking, that's, of, speaking of money, uh-huh. this is this is random too, uh-huh. but it's so relevant. Um, cannabis, we passed a law to legalize adult use of cannabis um, okay. here in the state of Connecticut. Texas, I don't know, y'all little. We're, we're, we're on the slow path to that, but we're not there. Yeah, okay. So, so many millennials are wondering, well, this is the same um, drug right. that has right. quote unquote drug that has, you know, uh, taken so many of our people, right. put them in prison, et cetera. Um, how can we benefit from this? Yeah. You know, what can we do? And I, and I think now is the time for many of them to be a part of that conversation uh, mm-hmm. as well. So uh, y'all got a lot of work to do in Texas. Call me in if y'all need somebody to help work with your legislature. <laughs> well, um, I'm going to say this. You might have to talk to somebody. I don't smoke. So you got to talk to somebody else I, about that one. Uh, I don't I don't smoke either, but I do believe that, um, and I had this conversation with many of our legislators or our faith leaders here in the state of yeah. Connecticut, um, the ball is rolling whether you want to be a part of this conversation or not. Correct. And not so and, and so the very communities uh, that we all come from, black and brown, um, have been disproportionately impacted by this drug. And now all of a sudden, we want to legalize it. And then where's the money going? Is it going right. to go to it, our it, education it, system? Is it right. going to hire our people? Is it going to allow for training and other opportunities for our folks? So you don't have to smoke it, but you yep. don't have to eat an edible. You don't got to do nothing. But there is money to be made. And yep. no, um, it does not negatively impact our communities. Um, and we can have a whole... That's a whole... Yeah, that's a whole nother um, 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, as a former chair of our legislature's Black and Puerto Rican caucus, that was something um, that I struggled with. Uh, but I've made sure our communities had the information to make their own uh, choice or decision to support 
Um, but anyway, getting people involved is where we were. But go ahead, you wanted to say something. Yeah, there is one more thing I will, I will want to say to our, since we're talking about like this business structure as well. I would encourage our young folks, particularly our black, brown, indigenous folks, start you a business. Mm. And, I'm, and the reason I'm gonna say, I say this, what I have learned being a business owner, um, in this, in this, I have created, you know, talking about politics, my public speaking, this is a business that I do. That's right. I have a That's fully right. funded, I mean, excuse me, fully formed LLC that I run my business out of social media, all of that, anything mm. goes there, right? What I've learned is the laws that are currently on the books are so advantageous for business owners. Now I'm a workers, uh, workers rights type of guy. However, in this moment, the laws on the books benefit the business owner, right? So start a business, find that thing that you like and create a fully formed business, get your EIN, get your LLC, get you an accountant, do it the right way. Make sure your stuff is on point, get you a lawyer. Uh, all those things, and I'm a segue into PPP as well. One thing that blew my mind about PPP. I what is PPP? What is PPP? A personal protection, uh, personal paycheck protection program right. uh, that that was issued out during, uh, well, the greater part of the pandemic because we technically we're still in pandemic, right? Uh, what I realized, my business got some PPP. We did it the right way though. We ain't talking about that fraudulent PPP. <laughs> you, better, you better make it clear. <laughs> make it very clear. We got what, we put the exact numbers in, what they said we can get, that's what we took and nothing more, nothing less, okay? But what I realized, this is what's crazy to me. What I realized, they allow businesses to get two disbursements, right? And when you go back to give th get this loan forgiven, it's essentially a grant. Anybody that got less than $50,000 can self-certify. Meaning when it's time to do the forgiveness, all I gotta do is say, oh yes, I spent the money on what I was supposed to spend it on. And the government said, okay, cool. What that tells me is y'all have given out so much money that you don't even have time to look at people that got under $50,000. That lets you know, one, our country has money. So that's my segue into giving black people reparations because you got the coins, but two, <laughs> Look at what our country did for business owners. Mm. Look at how much of a fight it was for unemployment. And look how easy it was to give the business owner the money. Mm -hmm. Start you a business. So, so in closing, how, again, how can folks get in touch with you, keep in touch with you, yeah. hire you for your services? Yeah, um, let's, let's start with hiring. <laughs> Come on now, let's start with hiring so we don't have to get no more PPP. We can just keep the ball rolling these lights. There you go. Uh, <laughs> but no, you can you can get me at booking, B-O-O-K-I-N-G, at Quentin R. Giles, Q-U-E-N-T-I-N-R-J-I-L-E-S.com. Social media platforms, Quentin R. Giles on Instagram, Quentin Giles on TikTok. Shout out to my TikTok fan. We just hit 300,000 uh, followers on TikTok. I'm kind of- Yeah, you did. Yeah, uh, you can follow me on YouTube, uh, The Q with Q, uh, or just Google my name, Quentin R. Giles. All those things will pop up. And um, you have something else happening. Um, you're just doing a lot, so we'll leave it at hey. that. I was gonna, oh, I mean, if you want me to plug it, I mean. Plug it, plug it, man, that's what we're on. Yeah, okay, well listen, listen, great, great things are really happening. I literally, um, I'm writing another book. Uh, I just got signed to a literary agent. Uh, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, another thing I'll kind of briefly mention, I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with African ancestry. 
Uh, it's a black owned DNA company that will trace your genetic material down to the tribe your wow. family comes from. It's called African Ancestry. I just did a deal with them. That's about to come out, I think in two days. Uh, so yeah, actually it'll, tomorrow, tomorrow. We talked yesterday, finalized everything. It'll come out tomorrow. Uh, so check that out. I've done it. I found out, you know, where my paternal side comes from. I'm still waiting on the results from my mother's side. Uh, I, apparently I'm from a country called Gabon uh, of the Sogo people. So I know the tribe, I can go visit them now. Uh, so yeah, we got some, we got some stuff in the works. We, I'm, I'm super excited about the book, excited about the partnership with African Ancestry. Uh, and yeah, still out there speaking and, and, and talking on stages. So yeah, we got some stuff cooking. Well, that's what's up. Well, thanks again, Q, um, for taking time to just chop it up with me, um, talk about various uh, issues and challenges sure. uh, we're faced with, but most importantly, encouraging us uh, to be a part of, of this very political um, process. Uh, so again, y'all, thank you all so much for listening. Y'all follow me. My co-host Q told me that I need to change all of my social media handle because I have a different name for each platform. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, anyway, y'all follow <laughs> me on Instagram underscore BLMJ underscore uh, at Rhett McGee on Twitter. Uh, and as always, I love y'all. Oh, I forgot about Spotify uh, and also YouTube. So Inside the Room with Brandon McGee on both of those platforms, Spotify and YouTube. Uh, so as always, I love you. Y'all don't go nowhere. Keep it locked. There's another great show coming on and you don't want to miss it. Take care. <laughs>